This is the Convergent Science Network podcast. Leading researchers in the domain of neuroscience, brain theory and technology are interviewed by Paul Verschur and Tony Prescott. So this is uh, Paul Verschur with the Convergent Science Network uh, podcast. And I'm speaking now with uh, Friedemann Pulvermuller, who is uh, also speaker at our, at our summer school here in Barcelona. And Friedemann, you, you started with a tribute to uh, Valentino Brattenberg in your, yes. in your talk. Why, why that? Well, because he's my teacher and mentor, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I learned a lot of, from him, especially this question how to address um, cognitive processes uh, from a neuroscience perspective, uh, looking for mechanistic answers to cognitive questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, general approach, I would say, I inherited from him. Mm-hmm. But now, um, um, Brettenberg was an anatomist to a large extent. Yes. Right? Okay, there, there was also this incredible project on vehicles and synthetic exactly, psychology, yeah, exactly. which was really an amazing yeah. issue on detour in his, in his career with quite Absolutely. an impact. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But at heart, he was an anatomist. So, but yes. in your own work, you're not really doing anatomy anymore. Well, not at the moment, I would say. Now, nowadays, we have DTI and, and uh, methods to look at cortical connectivity, uh, which I'm interested in. We haven't published about that, but but in principle, uh, that would be very much in the in the in the range of my inner interests. And um, <clears throat> there are there are projects such as we are looking at activation spreading over the cortex and of course this reflects to a degree uh, they're spreading through long distance cortical cortical uh, cortical connectivity and mm-hmm. of course the models we are using to uh, to to to, uh, to explain these activation spreadings they are insp- they are grounded in neuroanatomy so mm-hmm. we read a lot of neuroanatomical right. anatomical, mm-hmm. uh, work and, and try to make realistic computer models of the brain mm-hmm. and its substructures okay. like the air, different areas of the motor system and the auditory system with a belt and parabelt and whatever mm-hmm. there is and the, and then also putting in those connections that have been documented neuroanatomically mm-hmm. so right. so Neuroanatomy plays a big role, mm-hmm. but I'm not a neuroanatomist. Right. Um, okay. But then well, the other thing that, that you mentioned in, in relation to Brattenberg was that he had this working hypothesis of the brain as an information mixing system. Yes. Okay. So what does it actually really mean? Well, it means that, uh, that there is a, a system in which... Indeed, there's specialization in the sense that there's an area where visual information comes in, one from which motor activation goes out, but that the actual purpose of the cortex is to link as many as possible areas to each other mm-hmm. and to provide information mixing uh, in the sense that the motor neuron, finally, that isn't a motor neuron only anymore after the linkage with the visual with a, with a visual neuron, mm-hmm. but the motor neuron becomes a little bit visual as well as, and in the very same way, uh, by mutual linkage with the motor neuron, the visual neuron mm-hmm. may become 
a, a little bit motor. So there are distributed cortical mm -hmm. circuits that now carry multimodal, mm -hmm. uh, cross-modal properties. Or if you wish, they become quite abstract. Mm -hmm. All right, so but then, if I understand you correctly, this information mixing capability is something you ascribe more to the neocortex. So not to the brain overall, but absolutely, really? yeah. Ah, so okay. the and uh, the the picture I showed was actually a picture of the cortex. Mm -hmm. So the cortex would be the information mixer. The uh, the, the cerebellum would have a would would be more a, a hetero associative network that mm -hmm. just links one pattern to a subsequent pattern. Mm -hmm. So, okay. so that's the nature of that is very different. Okay, and indeed, also in your own work, yeah. you focus very much then on this these mixing capabilities of the neocortex, yes, in particular with respect to meaning and semantics with respect to yes. language, right? So yeah. word meaning. So, so what's the problem really around meaning? Why are you worried about meaning? I'm not so much worried about meaning. Okay. I think meaning is a very straightforward example case. And, uh, and and we can understand aspects of it mm -hmm. very easily. Mm -hmm. But I'm surprised that you say you're not worried about it because in, in some sense, uh, also your presentation, right, you, you, you try to show how actually in the past or, or sort of standard models of meaning are actually insufficient, right? Yes. Standard models of meaning are always say, look, if somewhere in the brain there's a meaning module with all sorts of magical capabilities, so that, that's insufficient. Yes. Yes. So this is really the challenge you, you you try to answer now. So what is wrong with with these sort of the, the textbook models of meaning and meaning modules? Well, one thing that is wrong or insufficient is if uh, if, if I have a meaning module in which uh, the meaning of each word or each concept is defined by relationship to other words and other concepts, then. Uh, the the so-called symbol grounding problem is remains unanswered. So if I can use the uh, the word red very well in context such as an, a strawberry is red and uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, and and lips are red and uh, and and uh, um, <coughs> red symbolizes love or whatever, uh, we uh, uh, it's not sufficient. What I would, I would, in order to document that I'm able to use the word red, I would need to uh, point to the right color in a certain context. In order to know what a strawberry is, I would also need to find out which of the berries is actually the strawberry. Uh, if I don't have this capability, one of the criteria of semantic knowledge is not uh, satisfied. Mm -hmm. So, and, and these, and if I define word meaning just by uh, l by semantic relationships, relationships between symbols, I do not have this grounding mm. in knowledge of the, uh, of, of of the world. So this is this has been this point has been made by Harnot, Searle, mm -hmm. many scientists. Right, exactly. And, yeah. But what does this mean in practical terms? Does it mean that if we want a theory of meaning, must map it back to interaction with the real world, or should just map it back to the real world with respect to let's say reference? I say a strawberry just means that I can point to an object in the world and say, okay, this impression, the sensor states that are triggered by this object, as long as you can bring these together, this is meaning. 
or is it really about me physically interacting and acting up on that store, picking it up and smelling it and tasting it and so on? Is that action component critical or just one among many components that, that provide the statistics on which meaning flows? Well, object reference, of course, me, uh, meaning that I know uh, to which object my given word like strawberry applies is a necessary component. Mm. So for words like strawberry, we, I want to show the, the right, th the point of the right thing. I want to know more, of course. I want to know how it tastes, how it smells as well. Mm -hmm. If I'm slightly deprived, if I'm blind, if, if I have, if, uh, if I cannot uh, taste so uh, well, or if there's a sensory deprivation of different time, of course, I may be limited on one of these dimensions, but there are still the other dimensions, mm -hmm. sensory. Uh, uh, knowledge, so to speak, related uh, that is of semantic relevance. Um, there are other kinds of words, such as words with which we speak about actions. Mm -hmm. For example, a word like grasp would uh, here. There's no object to point to here. There's no object reference in the same sense. We use it to speak about actions, but we also need to have this knowledge uh, in which action contexts the word can be properly applied mm -hmm. and uh, and and uh, in which contexts it 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 fails to be appropriately right. used so mm -hmm. so there's a good there, it's not just visual perception to, to which the words relate mm -hmm. objects right. it's also actions it's and for abstract concepts it's uh, it's a very similar issue only mm -hmm possibly slightly more complex. If I want to teach my child what freedom means, what would I do? Well, I would explain him or her that, <clears throat> that somebody who is living in jail and who is allowed out after several years is now free. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would say, well, and this guy who, who is... Uh, in handcuffs and uh, somebody unlocks them and uh, lets, lets, lets him go, freeze mm -hmm. this guy. And uh, I, I could also say that a judge sitting there and just sit, uh, just doing nothing except for saying a word, saying a sentence, well, uh, you are now, uh, uh, you're, you're not guilty mm -hmm. and you are free. You're not, in the, mm -hmm. you do not have to stay mm -hmm. in our prison here. So these are different instantiations of the freedom concept, so mm -hmm. to speak. And in order to, 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 to be able to use this abstract term, I would need to know how to apply it in, in such prototypical circumstances. Of course, now everybody has say, his or her own experiences with strawberries, with freedom, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. But there, there's a common knowledge about prototypical situations, both for the abstract and for the concrete items. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then you're saying meaning as such comes in degrees, let's say. You can tie in more or less modalities and submodalities. Absolutely. Right? And um, are there some boundaries to that? Is there some boundary? Let's say, does it need to be symbolic in some sense or can also be just purely analog? Um, does it sort of means how literal should be the connection to let's say the neuronal activity that that uh, that uh, an object might trigger. So are the boundaries on this notion then of meaning if it comes in in gradations? Um, now the term symbolic is well should probably be explained. Mm -hmm. So may I ask what you how you use this? 
Well, and I it, it's in, in artificial intelligence. It's sometimes the, uh, a symbolic approach. Is sometimes I, that I approach that doesn't have the neuronal basis. Right. Now, so, of course, we are talking neurons, and mm -hmm. and therefore it doesn't. It's not just symbolic. It's mm -hmm. always with a neural basis. Mm -hmm. So the, the main right. question. Breitenbergian question, if you wish, uh, is how how can we find a neurobiological underpinning for things such as symbols? Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it doesn't stay symbolic, but it becomes symbolic with a brain grounding. Right, with with sort of an implementation with a physical yes, component, with right? a mechanism behind exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So, but symbolic in the way I intended is also so that's why I mentioned analog. Yeah. I think this is an important. Um, opposition because in the analog case the object will drive a sensor sheet sensor sheet will drive neural activity and it's sort of a, a direct mapping right so the activity is not transformed in some way but it's really this this vector of responses the state of responses induced by the way the object in the outer world tickles the sensor sheet that gives you now an analog representation a symbolic representation doesn't have that feature it's really disconnected from the way in which the outside world is tickling the sensor sheets. So it's a decoupling between an internal representation and how this can be activated by the outside world. Well, I'm not so sure about the latter. As mm -hmm. I try to, as I try to explain in this mm -hmm. case of the abstract meaning of mm -hmm. freedom or free, of the word free, uh, there. If we learn the meaning, if or if we teach, well, the practical example is always related to practical activities like teaching a child uh, what the meaning is. And what what would you do? You would you would present concrete examples, a range of co uh, of, of of communication contexts where the word is appropriately ap applied, mm -hmm. interaction contexts also, and uh, so, but uh, so. so there, there isn't a complete detachment mm -hmm. between the meaning and these typical instantiation. One mm -hmm. could even claim that the knowledge about the typical instantiation uh, and instantiations is, um, is is necessary for the knowledge about the symbolic meaning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wouldn't go so far that it, I would say it exhausts the, the meaning, but it's necessary. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and what is what is different from a case uh, of the of knowing uh, the, the meaning of the word strawberry, where there are is probably one could argue there's one prototype. The different a main difference is that in this freedom case there are many different prototypes, mm -hmm. and therefore one couldn't say well, and it's actually this hand movement of unlocking the handcuffs which relates to which relates to. Uh, the freedom concept mm -hmm. it's actually a vast variety of different actions that could be that could go through as uh, as as good examples of freeing somebody a verbal action a hand action mm -hmm. and so on and so forth um but but uh, but in the in the case of a strawberry there there, there could be one prototype mm -hmm. only Okay. So, so there, we, we need more uh, computational power for the abstract concept. We need to calculate something like an either-or either function over different instantiations. Mm -hmm. And therefore, as, as you correctly mentioned, uh, there is a, a, a degree of detachment mm -hmm. between the, 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 the instantiation, the, the concrete situational context, prototypical situational context, because there are so many of them. Mm -hmm. By the way, the, the correlation rule 
captures that very well. Mm -hmm. So I can, if I if I correlate two things with each other, uh, then th th uh, th there may be a link. Mm -hmm. But if if I try to uh, to store the knowledge uh, that one thing can have ten different corresponding uh, instantiations, then the, correl uh, the, the, the the correlation rule would uh, would actually uh, produce a little bit of a link for each, but also if I if I learn that A and B belong together, there's strengthening mm -hmm. of the connection. But if I learn that there's A and C that also belong together, there's a little bit of weakening. Yeah, but now now we're jumping forward, right? This is also very much related to the model yeah. that that you built of, yes. of meaning. And yeah. before we we get to the model. I would like to first look at the, at sort of the data you've collected yes. on, on meaning yeah. in, in the brain, yeah. and, uh, and uh, before before getting to the data, another definitional issue that also came up this morning and would be useful to uh, I think get it out there was the, this whole issue about okay, but what then is the 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 difference between meaning and semantics and the notion of a concept? Right? Why not just speak of concepts? Why not yes. say, look, if it's just about let's say, the kind of information in the outside world that, that co-occurs, right, given a certain label, a mm -hmm. word, um, why not call that just a concept, right? It's just a cloud of points in some high-dimensional space, so they belong together because they co-occur, so I call it a concept. But when do we call that a semantic meaning as opposed to just a concept? Mm -hmm. Well, in... In semantic theory, it's just conventional to di uh, to distinguish between concepts and semantics of words, and the, the very simple uh, difference is that uh, one could one could say that semantics, uh, the, the the meaning of a word, semantics same same thing as meaning, and um, the meaning of a word is the concept with a regular relationship to a word form or a symbol. Mm -hmm. So it's just if you wish. A subset of the space of concepts, but those that have a uh, that have a, a clear relationship to words, okay. and established in mm -hmm. the language com community. Okay. So if I personally have a bad experience mm -hmm. with fish, and therefore uh, therefore would would have a well always uh, a startle response when seeing or tasting one, uh, the, w the the word fish wouldn't have the meaning of being something bad but because it's just my own experience so the the the, the word semantics would always have this language community mm -hmm. aspect so it should be shared by many right otherwise exactly. in order to allow that what mm -hmm. i say is understood by others in the right. same same way okay. so if my pers personal experience is slightly different from the from the from the from what is established in the in the language community then one would it would need to be discussed whether this aspect should belong to the mm -hmm. semantic space, so to speak. Right. Space okay. Semantic so features. the concepts basically yeah. define, let's say, the the co-occurrences of certain statistical states out there in the world. But as soon as these start to co-occur together with words, you call it semantics. Yes. Right? So, so, yeah. so, but it also would mean that your theory, in principle, would generalize to the notion of concepts. It's not absolutely necessary, right. Absolutely. But, and yeah. you use the semantic linguistic case more as your test case, in some sense, to yes. get access to this conceptual space. Yeah. Also, for 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 the case of language, I think for, for me this is much simpler because asking what is the meaning of the word 
can be very closely related to the question, how do I teach the meaning of this mm -hmm. word, for example, to a language learner, a child. But however, the, the question about the nature of concepts is much more nebulous. Mm -hmm. So I can say, well, and I, it's, it's very easy to say, well, concepts are inborn. They are just in our heads by, uh, well, by, by nature, mm -hmm. uh, by, by natural laws and, and genetics. And, and, and I don't want to know about it. Uh, I, I just postulate it. Mm -hmm. However, if I do this for semantics, then I run into a problem. Mm -hmm. and I, and because it guess, I uh, assume I have, I have an inborn knowledge of, uh, uh, of, of, uh, of, of stinginess. Mm -hmm. Now, how would I need, how would I become able to link the word form stinginess, the word stinginess, to this particular inborn concept? Mm -hmm. So the semantical learning would require that stinginess would become manifest mm -hmm. somehow, otherwise I couldn't teach it. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the semantic case is much simpler and more easy and much easier to address mm -hmm. than the conceptual right. case. If I have, if, if I come up with a conceptual theory, and I can stay in nebulous space. Mm -hmm. But um, apparently, you, you do you did figure out I'm Dutch. That's why I took stinginess as your example. No, no, I'm I'm, I'm Swabian, and, <laughs> okay. and Swabian, and, and people in Swabia, <laughs> Southwest Germany, yeah. they are they are said to be very stingy. Really, other oh, Dutch I'm, is the same. Okay, yeah. so so we are innate, so, so, innately stingy. Yes. Okay. So, so, okay. <laughs> so there, there must be a genetic relationship exactly. between Swabians, mm -hmm. Dutch, and and Scotsmen. Maybe. That's going to be our next collaborative project. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now, so now we, we we did the preliminaries, right? So the definitions are out of the way. Yep. We, um, we look now at, at, at now we can move on to to this notion of the mechanisms of meaning because that will bring you to the brain, sure. right? And there. You distinguish that's uh, <coughs> referential semantics, abstract semantics, emotional semantics, mm -hmm. and combinatorial semantics. Yes. Why these four? Well, the case of referential semantics we have discussed, or if there's a there's a link between words and the world, or even construction sentences, and the, and the, and the world. There, there we, we speak about things, about actions, about interactions, and, 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 this, and, and this knowledge of this relationship has to do with the meaning of the, of, the, of, the ter of the terms. Then there's this claim that there's a relationship among the symbols, uh, and, and this is to a degree relevant for the meaning. And there's no doubt that this idea is correct. For example, a blind person can learn that that uh, strawberries are red, not because this person e has ever seen a red strawberry, but simply because the word red and the word strawberry frequently co-occur in sentences. Mm -hmm. And it's not it's not sentences that also have a not in them. So uh, so there there's some combinatorial data around that also allows us to draw conclusions that are semantic in nature in, mm -hmm. in the sense that I, we can, can deduce semantic statements uh, of the sort uh, strawberry has to do some something to do with red or is red if I know that red mm -hmm. is a, a feature of objects now uh, th now th this is an, and of course we we know that words are occur together, other words occur 
together not so frequently. There's a correlation not only between between words and the world. So I, sp I use the word to speak about this type of object, and therefore the object may co-occur with the, with the occurrence of the word form. Or I would, or it, it doesn't require that the strawberry is indeed present in the environment. While I speak of, use the word a strawberry, I could also imagine, think of the object, and at the same time. I use the word, use the word, so, so simulate the, the the object or the the scene, and uh, and and this could lead to a to a to a semantic linkage of a referential type. But then the co-occurrence of the words in strings would also trigger similar processes. We know that nerve cells in the cortex uh, strengthen their links when they are active together, mm -hmm. and assume that there's a neural population that. That uh, that corresponds to my word number one, red, and my word number two, strawberry. If they occur together very frequently, then the connections between them, if any, would strengthen. Mm -hmm. And if they, uh, if they, uh, uh, however, if they appear in different contexts, uh, each each on its own, then uh, the, this connection might weaken again. Mm -hmm. So, so there there is a degree of mapping also of word co-occurrences and this leads to the postulate that we have this uh, th th there's this combinat this storage of combinatorial uh, semantics mm -hmm. which complements the, uh, the, the, the 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 semantic knowledge that relates to the world so right. there's this wor word world mm -hmm. uh, relationship but also this word word mm -hmm. relationship that right. is easily mapped Mm -hmm. by a correlation storage device mm -hmm. such as our our right. cortex now, so so also so over the years you have actually accumulated a lot of evidence for this yes. for this hypothesis right yeah. so what what do you see as the as the outstanding as pieces of of data that support this view on on semantics um if you allow me i would i would y y your previous question was actually aiming at other two other f two know. more facets. Yes. One one about abstract semantics. One about emotional semantics. Yes, exactly. And maybe I could very briefly address sure. the, mm -hmm. those two too. Okay. So the abstract semantics is uh, is special, and uh, as in in the sense of the freedom example mm -hmm. I started our discussion with, and um, I presented at the start of our discussion. So so there. It, uh, the, the strawberry example is very simple. One object scheme, one word, linked together. Freedom, much more difficult semantically, very different prototypical instantiations of the of, of the meaning of that of that concept of that of, of that very uh, many meaning facets, if you mm -hmm. wish. Um, and there there needs to be more computational power. There needs to be an uh, a neural element that says it can be this or it can be this or that or that or that. So a list of prototypes, so to speak, mm -hmm. and an either or or just an or mm -hmm. connection between them. And this is the special thing that there they are that in this case such uh, such uh, or or either or mm -hmm. connections need to uh, links would need to come in. So a little bit more, if you wish, symbolic mm -hmm. neuronal mechanisms. Right. But, but we have no problems. We have no problems with these mechanisms because this is actually what nerve cells are made for—to do such, right. such, such. But uh, one reason why I, why I skipped over it 
to, to fill that in further and to go to the neural mechanism yeah. was um, because I wanted to challenge you later on, on, on these distinctions you're making, but maybe we can do that now because in some sense I could argue, look, if let's take uh, referential semantics. Okay, so we take headphone. Okay, so I see a headphone out there in the world, but the headphone in itself uh, is comprised of many components. And certainly if yeah. I look at headphone as, just as a visual stimulus, it is completely fragmented in my visual cortex. When it enters my V1, it's just a massive puzzle um, with, with millions of pieces that I have to sort of actively reassemble. So yeah. in some sense, at that level of now visual meaning, I'm already solving a combinatorial problem, mm -hmm. right? So in some sense, you could, so th this raises this issue about the distinctions you're making here and how, how, whether they're really a minimal interpretation, right? I could say, well, maybe combinatorial is, is subsumed also in referential. So this is not really a clear distinction. And I could possibly make the same argument with abstraction because to go from the headphone input states of my primary visual cortex to my concept headphone, not even so before it reaches a semantic stage. Now, just the, the integration of all this information that floats in, around in my brain around headphone, also that is a form of abstraction. It must be abstracted. I yes. cannot rely on what's out there in the world, right? So, in some sense, this distinction you make might be a little bit arbitrary. There might not be hard borders between them. Indeed, I think this criticism is to a degree appropriate. Mm -hmm. So there are different types of chairs, different types of headphones. Mm -hmm. And if we, if we speak about headphones, we might, we might want to include the more or less prototypical ones. And, uh, and of course, if we speak about animals, there, there's a long list of possible, uh, of, of possible uh, reference objects. And, uh, and, and uh, I, I agree that they are not just the extremes of the spectrum. So, so, uh, so, so, uh, so, so, an item such as a such as a fruit, which mm. comes with very little variation, mm. uh, 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 even uh, even though if you think of strawberries, they can be very small, very large. So, a degree of abstraction is necessary there mm -hmm. too. But but uh, and and on the other end of the scale, there there's abstract concept where there's really a, such a wide range of uh, of of different instantiations that there's no way to 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 achieve much without such logical operations. Mm -hmm. In between, there are cases of of cate larger category terms, or then. Uh, of terms, as you said, like like headphones, which can come in very different shapes, mm -hmm. where a degree of 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 either or computation might still be right. necessary at a, at a at a basic level category. Right, exactly. Uh, level. Yeah, but, but I, okay, I, so, I agree. So, okay. so there's no clear mm -hmm. boundary here. This is entire. Uh, there, there are the extreme cases, mm -hmm. but there's lo lots right. lots of material so, in so between. So you could say ontologically. Uh, in terms of what, what's really going on in the brain, yeah. it, it it might be more a diffuse and, and a continuous process, but as a research heuristic, it could still help you to actually yes. get access to yeah. this, right? So this is yes. maybe how we should how we should yeah. look at that. Oh, and what we do what we do is uh, we we then have ask our experimental subjects and ask, and, and uh, ask them 150 questions about the me aspects of the meaning of words, and we pick out some of those very words with very simple. 
semantics where they say, for example, this word relates to actions I typically perform with my hand, for example, mm -hmm. and uh, and um, and of course the, the the action verb to free is not among those, mm -hmm. and, right. uh, and, and 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 same with object words as as well, mm -hmm. so, and uh, and if if they are then words with with very variable. Uh, semantics, then those would fall out of these experiments. Mm -hmm. Right, That's exactly. Okay, uh, so, but I think we got agreement here. This is this is very yeah. good, because yes. now when you can go back to, to the follow-up question, which was, okay, but where's where's the data now, right? Which is, where where is the data that, that would support this interpretation of, of semantics? Yes. So, so where where should we start there? What, what was the first observation, let's say, that gave you hope? that is more, let's say, statistical interpretation of, of <coughs> word meaning would actually pan out. And that's really what the brain is, is relying on. The, uh, sorry, again, this, this is now about statistical. No, no, wait, wait. I just want to go back. So let's let's go back again now to, to the referential semantics. Yes. Right? So we just go to the case yeah. where we have word meaning uh, with respect to objects out there in the world, right? Mm -hmm. There's a direct reference. Yeah. And this direct reference, the word meaning, is now there is occurring because aspects of this object yeah. co-occur systematically. Yes. Right? So statistically, mm -hmm. there's a pattern. Yeah. The brain can pick up this pattern. And now, you know, Friedemann Pulvermüller, seeing this from the outside, says, yeah. aha, here is word meaning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what were these pieces of data? What were the observations that allowed you to say that? Yeah. Well, if you ask me about the history of it, or so, so what what gave me hope for the first time, yeah. uh, then uh, then I should say, well, reading a paper by Helen Neville from two thousand from nineteen ninety two, mm -hmm. and, uh, and this was about this was about words related to grammar, function, grammatical function words, and and content words, nouns and verbs mainly, and they were presented in an EEG experiment. Uh, and and there was a degree of activation of both hemispheres, mm -hmm. and uh, in both or the, it was EEG recordings, and and there was a lot of activation on both sides of the brain, while for these grammatical words there was just a, lo a localized activation in the left hemisphere. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, and and this is of course compatible with the view that these content words, this this action verbs and object nouns and maybe some other items as well they activate a lot of uh, a, a lot of semantic links in various cortical areas visual cortex maybe motor cortex this is more speculation than data then the data would actually tell you but it it fitted nicely into the into the model and mm -hmm. uh, and, and we, we then I then went on, went on and, and, and learned to use EEG by then and, mm -hmm. and replicated this experiment now with better matching of the stimuli in order to exclude a range of confounds looked at the, that, that these were these words were exactly matched for a range of psycholinguistic mm -hmm. features, which we now know uh, influence the brain response very much, mm -hmm. and we st and, and we could confirm that there's a strong laterality for the grammatical items, and the whole brain is or there's a brain the activation pattern compatible with whole mm -hmm. whole cortex activation for these more meaningful items. Now the whole series of experiments is of course entirely insufficient to address the question, mm -hmm. but you asked what gave me hope mm -hmm. first. Yeah, exactly. and, uh, 
because it was heavily conf this kind of experiment was heavily confounded. Function words are grammatical items. There's a lot of syntactic knowledge attached to them. Mm. Now the content words they they have they have meaning. They have but they they have they are combinatorially very different. They they have they they are imageable. They 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 give rise to secondary. Uh, processes, uh, cognitive processes like imagination, function words don't, and so on and so forth. And and uh, we could match some basic psycholinguistic variables, as I said, but uh, and the and the and, and the differences persisted, but uh, but but still, it's not the best mm -hmm. way of addressing the right. semantic questions. Mm -hmm. And the next thing that gave me hope was uh, what was words uh, was work on word category processing or category specific processes for example alex martin at nih did experiments on uh, on on naming tool naming and animal naming and found differential activation at that point with pet uh, of of of, of uh, and, and a little bit of motor cortex activation already then mm -hmm. for the uh, for the um, <clears throat> uh, for for the tool words and a lot of visual and temporal activation now for mm -hmm. the for the animal word naming. Right. Now the problem here is, of course, that you start with pictures and you don't know how to what degree the pic, the the physical features of the uh, of the pictures influence this, and and to what degree the picture processing invokes some differential activation, or whether it's language and concept related. And mm -hmm. um, we we went on to look at nouns and verbs. Mm -hmm. Nouns and verbs activated. If if we take concrete action ver verbs and object nouns, there is a difference of activation. But of course, also here, linguistic confounds come in. So all of this work gave us a lot of hope, but it wasn't the final question, the final answer to the question. I think the first time we were really convinced mm -hmm. that that now we have something in hand to postulate that it's semantics and only semantics uh, that is reflected in local brain response, and that this local brain response could also be related to the to uh, to activations that have to do with action with uh, with perception was when we when we looked at at uh, different action verbs actually action verbs that relate to different parts of the body mm -hmm. and then we found for example that words such as grasp actions you perform with a hand uh, w uh, would activate the hand motor representation actually overlapping with those areas mm -hmm. uh, in those uh, experimental subjects uh, that were also activated when they actually moved their finger or some some mm -hmm. upper extremity and the same th and, and 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 the same thing we found for leg related words like kick or walk mm -hmm. and they were and, and they activated regions overlapping now with those regions that were also activated when when people were tapping their foot or something mm -hmm. or moving the foot and th that gave us because the here the, the, the linguistic confounds were, had been ruled out so the words were similar also according to grammatical and whatever other possibilities they were equally imageable action related and so on and so forth but there was a different body part relationship now we wouldn't uh, claim and we haven't actually that the motor system here houses semantics and only the motor system where but what we would say that by activation in the motor system some aspects of the meaning of these words are uh, are reflected mm -hmm. and uh, and and i think this has been replicated in many studies since mm -hmm. uh, 
even if there's a degree of variability of these motor activations as a function of context, as a function of task, and as a, interestingly, as a function of, uh, of, of the communicative mm -hmm. function the words have in a particular right. situation. But, uh, but, but it's, I, I think it's generally, it, 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 it could be confirmed, and there is evidence that words that that semantically relate to actions involve to a degree the motor system. Right. But now, would you see something similar for words that invoke visual perception? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. We, so we did very similar experiments now for, for color and shape mm -hmm. words, where mm -hmm. there was a similar double dissociation in the, in the visual system. And, and right. So it's a very it's a very general feature that you that be, yeah. you observe. Yeah. And and there are, there are other groups uh, who have uh, who have done mm -hmm. similar work for example Barcelo and uh, Simmons they they looked at they they looked they looked at uh, color words and mm -hmm. and those areas that that uh, that are especially important for color processing and there there was an overlap of activations mm -hmm. and uh, um, Markus Kiefer in Ulm Germany he looked at sound related words and right. uh, and, and a, uh, a range of uh, people here um, in the uh, in in uh, in the vicinity of Barcelona mm -hmm. they they, uh, um, they 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 looked very closely at at other modality words such as uh, odor and mm -hmm. taste right. words. And so, so that would mean with respect Con to Gonzalez, for example, recently right. to this yeah. referential semantics. So, what your what the, the first observation was: look, okay, action allows you to interpret the response, right? Because you could mm -hmm. see how these responses were invading motor execution system. Yes. And but now this raises a number of questions, right? One <laughs> is okay, but then now I, the brain is 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 mapping. All, all these inputs into a, a conceptual space. And this conceptual space has some dimensionality because now you're saying, well, it might go towards motor execution systems, it could go towards vision, audition, uh, olfaction, taste. Yep. But is that the intrinsic dimensionality of this semantic space in your mind? Or or is that uh, is that not how it's organized? Well, I would say this is certainly, the, these, these uh, modality, Dimensions are are certainly part, as I would construe it, part of the semantic space. They wouldn't exhaust mm -hmm. the semantic space. I wouldn't. I, so I, what I else is there? So what 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 other dimensions are there? If it doesn't exhaust the space, then there must be other aspects to its organization that yeah. it doesn't capture. One uh, one one aspect we skipped entirely. This was emotion relationship. Okay. Right. So, so of course, as we can speak about uh, about actions mm -hmm. we do with our body, we can speak about objects in the world. In a, in a very similar say, uh, similar uh, sense, we can speak about entities that are, in some uh, view views, uh, enclosed in our body, mm -hmm. internal states, as mm -hmm. they have been called. Like if, if I speak about happiness or or, uh, or joy, mm -hmm. this is nothing I, th that would be an object in the world or nothing, and, and not an action either. Mm -hmm. So how how would that work? And, and of course we we link the meaning of these items to to activation in the limbic system. So mm -hmm. it's probably ling uh, limbic circuits and uh, basal ganglia. Um, uh, activation, uh, amygdala, 
and mm-hmm. uh, and, and cingulum activation, anterior cingulum, right. and and some some parts of the insula play a role. Uh, so so uh, we we have uh, we, we have this cortical limbic. Uh, linkage here mm-hmm. for for uh, for for internal state emotion words especially now the problem here is that uh, how to teach a child uh, which internal uh, concept internal state a word uh, is used to speak about mm-hmm. because you cannot see the internal the, the internal uh, state and you cannot right. point to an object and say and this is joy Mm-hmm. So you can, uh, and, and, and there's a problem, mm-hmm. uh, and and the, and the answer, which actually goes back to the language philosopher Wittgenstein, he says he says, well, I can teach these uh, these uh, the, the meaning of these words because the child has a natural tendency of expressing these uh, these internal states in behavior in actions. Mm-hmm. So if if he, if if I want to if I want to teach a child what joy means, it's there's there's a very simple pathway. Uh, I wait until the, the the child shows joy behavior, mm-hmm. joy, expresses joy in in its behavior, and then I say, well, mm-hmm. you're you're joyful today, or, right. uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and this way, there I can establish mm-hmm. a correlation. Uh, for, between between the word use mm-hmm. and the and, and the limbic activation, which by assumption would assume uh, would would uh, would produce this behavior. Mm-hmm. However, the link only works because there's a the expression in behavior. There is a there, there, there there's a manifestation of the internal state in behavior mm-hmm. in, in actions, and therefore the motor system comes in here. And uh, we actually showed, actually, my doctorate student Rachel Mosley in Cambridge, mm-hmm. she uh, she showed that for abstract emotion words, the most highly abstract emotion words, there is motor systems activation. And interestingly, mm-hmm. it's those parts of the motor system uh, that are usually used to express emotions, namely mm-hmm. the face and the hands. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's the upper part of the right. body. Yeah, but so this is really amazing, right? Because you're, you're basically saying, uh, of course, there's a little caveat because... Uh, Limbic system might also involve then subcortical structures. No, that, that, that's no caveat at all. That, okay. That's part of the game. No, but, but earlier you wanted to stick to the neocortex as your mixer, your mixing system. Yes. So now now you start to bring in. So maybe it's a bit broader than only absolutely, neocortex. Absolutely, absolutely. So the, so this this semantic model is not restricted to okay. the cortex. It good. has these limbic tails. Excellent. If you, okay. No, no, if you like. It's good yeah. that we agree on that. Yeah. Right? But so now, here, so in some sense, it, it, what you say is very profound, but on the other hand, it might also appear very, very sort of, in some sense, obvious, because you could say what your observation uh, is, so over a, long, a large number of experiments using different techniques in humans, that, okay, meaning in the end is expressed in a, in a broad response in the brain that is expressing, let's say, the experience of the subject with whatever yes. yeah. the, the, the invoking, evoking yeah. event is. And if it's an emotional component, emotional areas of the brain will come in. If it's an action component, action areas will come in, etc. Right? Yes. But then, then you could argue, okay, but, but isn't that in some sense obvious? Because I'm just sort of mirroring the statistics of the world in which I exist and this is then again reflected and then it seems so unspecific right what so that means uh, it's not 
so, so the problem there is maybe also that you rely, for instance, a lot on fMRI. fMRI is a fairly slow signal. So this might make it difficult to actually understand what really the core is of that meaning network. Right? There, there, is a, there might be a beginning and an end to this meaning network. Maybe what you're looking at are like really the last few ripples in the meaning in the semantic system that indeed have sort of pervaded the system to really its periphery in, in, in mm -hmm. meaning space mm -hmm. in this yeah. case. And you have, you have not really looked at the core of that meaning system. Yeah, what what would be the the, the criterion for core and and uh, and distant relationship? Well, uh, let me try to rephrase your question. Uh, of course, one could if if I hear a word, I would first understand its meaning, and then I would think, uh, and and then the word may remind me of something else. I may may have a second order process of mm -hmm. being reminded of an event. I hear about uh, I, I, I hear about freeing and then I, th I, I I'm reminded of the news last night and from uh, about some 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 uh, some report of a certain from, from a certain country and then I think about that and reprocess that and 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 think about the freeing action the uh, some 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 rebels have performed there mm. and of course this takes time after a while I may think about very distantly related mm -hmm. issues is this what you mean for instance yeah, yeah. and uh, so, so here we we have of course a, 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 a handle to address this experimentally mm -hmm. fMRI as you said isn't probably the best tool here because it's sluggish it's slow it's like a snail mm -hmm. uh, we, we can uh, and, and we cannot distinguish whether this activation, strictly speaking, of the hand motor cortex when hearing the word grasp or, uh, or, or uh, to write, um, whether this uh, activation of the hand region in this case is actually the result of understanding the word, or relates to the understanding of the word, or thinking twice about it, or, or imagining something mm -hmm. distantly related to the word. We cannot. Uh, no way, uh, because because hopping from one uh, association to the next in this experiment may take only 20, uh, 200, 400 milliseconds, and, and this is not the temporal resolution of MRI. For that, we need uh, uh, imaging with exact temporal resolution, mm -hmm. with millisecond uh, precision. EEG is good for that. MEG, magnetoencephalography, mm -hmm. is ideal. Uh, and, and we have done such, such experiments, and, and in a nutshell, we see in imaging and EEG experiment, uh, experiments that these motor systems activation, for example, also the visual, the differential activation of visual areas in, in uh, color and uh, form-related mm. uh, uh, word processing, uh, come up very quickly within mm -hmm. within 200 milliseconds. Okay, and uh, this is as early as the earliest signs mm -hmm. of semantic processes. But can you say something about the sequence at which this is in which this is unfolding? So if so, I give you a word. It says, yeah. let's say, grasp. Yeah. Yes. So what will be now the sequence of events in the brain that uh, show you that the semantic network is is unfolding? So we start with, let's say, you're reading it. So first we have some some response in the visual early visual system. But what's next? Is it really unfolding in a very sequential way, like we're slowly crawling up this hierarchy? Yeah. Or do you jump, let's say, to a more um, forward frontal area that is that could be, let's say, more abstract, and from there you go back into these modality-specific representations? What's the 
order in which this really occurs. We see very early on some activation which which uh, relates to the sensory experience and uh, and uh, for example for spoken words that's the superior temporal cortex for for written words that's the occipital cortex and the, and then in the uh, at the bottom of the temporal cortex the so-called visual word form area or where, where there's just a lot of uh, activation whenever we read words or letters or whatever or nonsense letters strings and uh, and from there activation spreads to other other regions this post posterior superior temporal region and inferior frontal cortex and as well to the to the to the motor system so for example with spoken words we have measured with mg uh, a delay of uh, peak activations in superior temporal cortex of of about uh, 120 milliseconds after the point of word recognition, when we could, uh, when the subject could uh, could first identify the upcoming word. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you have a word like crocodile, mm -hmm. you cannot from cro you cannot be sure whether it will be crocodile or crocus. Mm -hmm. But but at one stage you are sure it will be crocodile and not something else. And at that point, it takes another 10. Uh, another 120 or so mm -hmm. milliseconds until we see this activation peak already in superior temporal cortex and it's another 20 milliseconds more un uh, until the inferior frontal uh, cortex and the and the lower part of the motor strip comes in mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and for for leg words the delays are a little bit larger activation has to travel to the top of the motor strip mm -hmm. so, so there we measured 170 milliseconds so it's there, there's a slight uh, difference in mm -hmm. the in the time delays okay it, it's rather quick mm -hmm. 130 right. 130 milliseconds in the back 150 in the front and 170 mm -hmm. at the top of the motor right. strip and and interestingly already this inferior frontal and uh, and superior central activations at 140, 50, 60, 70 milliseconds, they show a modulation which can be related, correlated with meaning aspects of the words. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but now, do you see this unfolding process as being tightly regulated by some, let's say, a hub somewhere that's connected to all these structures that is regulating how they unfold? This has been a proposal, an important proposal by, by uh, Karamatsa, for example. That, so the, the idea is, uh, well, let me just uh, rephrase this colloquially, that this motor system activation is more or less for fun but that there's somewhere a semantic hub or a symbolic semantic system which uh, pulls all the strings and mm -hmm. at one stage uh, activation may overflow to the motor system. There may be a little bit of a contrib contribution uh, here and there, but the semantic system, the real semantic processing should be done elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And now we, do, we don't see this. We don't, we don't see this generally, that activation always goes to temporal pole, for example, or to a, to a different region before it goes to mo uh, motor systems. And, mm. and we, have, we, uh, we, we see for abstract sentence and abstract concept, uh, concept processing, we see some activation which is outside the motor system, mm -hmm. outside sensory systems, for example, in dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and anterior uh, parts of the inferior frontal cortex and uh, but but these activations they usually come up at at latencies that are very similar to those where also modification of the of the motor strip activation mm -hmm. uh, reflecting 
semantic aspects, referential semantic aspects, uh, have been observed. Mm -hmm. uh, a recent experiment by my colleague Véronique Boulanger, who did a postdoc in Cambridge uh, a few years ago, uh, clarified this issue very nicely in, uh, by looking at uh, idiomatic expressions such mm -hmm. as uh, grasp the idea or, uh, or, or kick uh, uh, or, uh, or, or kick the habit or mm -hmm. uh, so, so in, the, in the, these, are, these are kick and grasp sentence, hand sentences and, and leg sentences mm -hmm. and they activated uh, to a degree differentially the motor strip and this motor differential motor strip activation uh, happened around 150 to 200 milliseconds. Mm -hmm. the, the earliest right. significant differences mm -hmm. were, were there. Uh, now, uh, we also had literal sentences compared in this experiment and compared those with the idiomatic ones. And this general idiomaticity difference, that was especially nicely reflected in dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, mm -hmm. not in the motor system, interestingly, and uh, also in anterior temporal cortex. Mm -hmm. So, and, uh, and, and now one could, of course, have a race. When is this general symbolic difference, abstract versus, versus, uh, uh, versus concrete meaning, mm -hmm. uh, idiomatic versus, versus literal, when, is this, when does this first come up? which would uh, allow for a conclusion on any general sim uh, symbolic system activation, if, if one uh, wanted to phrase it this way. Yeah. Uh, and, and when would this so-called embodied activation of the motor system differential between arm and leg sentences, even, even though they are abstract, mm -hmm. um, uh, come up? And we, we, we used as trigger point here, not, of course, the action-related words, but, but those words that disambiguated the meaning between, mm -hmm. uh, between idiomatic or, 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 or concrete literal yeah. uh, sentence meaning. So, so the point of uh, when, when the, uh, the catch the uh, ball or catch the apple, mm -hmm. the, this, this noun at the end would, would then distinguish between the literal and the right. idiomatic meaning and, and, or, or grasp the idea or, uh, or, uh, or grasp the cup. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, when 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 those come up, and uh, and and it was just about one one hundred fifty milliseconds after this word was flashed on screen that we saw both the, the this prefrontal anterior mm -hmm. temporal idiomaticity effect and also the the hand leg dissociation mm -hmm. in the motor strip. Okay. So, so the embodied the, there's parity between the embodied mm -hmm. and the and and the and and this. Potential, right. more general, potentially uh, more more general mm -hmm. idiomaticity uh, effects. It, it's not so that one can easily be be said to drive the other. Exactly. So this is the important yeah. consequence. Exactly. Of this, right? yeah. So in your mind, this is not really orchestrated by some hidden yeah. module somewhere. No, there isn't a this semantic is really, homunculus. Right. Anywhere. Exactly. This yeah. is really just yes. evolving out of the network dynamics yeah. without a central. Uh, orchestration. Yes. Okay. Oh, the but orchestration is actually, as as we would say, is done by the uh, by by the neuronal units that are that can be widely distributed. Yeah, exactly. But there's not a central conductor yes. who says now yeah. you and now you. Right? Yes. Exactly. But then, so uh, so so this is good, right? So here we have this, this dynamical uh, response, which will vary dependent on the references to the outside world. Um, but on the other hand, there's this issue of specificity because your test case is very much action words if you want, 
where you can show specificity to some extent, like if it, let's say, a hand word, you would see more, let's say, hand-related responses in the in the uh, topic sense, uh, in the somatosensory system. While it's kicking a foot action, you would see more foot-related yes. mm -hmm. responses. But you were also fair enough this morning to show uh, results from, from, from some of your colleagues or competitors, if you want, mm -hmm. who showed that actually these responses might not be that specific, that you also might see responses in this motor area yes. to completely nonsensical words or yes. mm -hmm. non-action <coughs> words. So, yes. so, so, uh, yeah. so uh, this, this might be a threat to your theory because they say, look, but these things might be responding all the time. Yeah. Not quite. Okay. Because motor semantics or action semantics is not the only thing that drives the motor system. So we have shown in a little series of experiments that also phonological features of, uh, of, of words and nonsense sounds uh, drive the motor system. And we even, we even hear it to natural sound. We even see this motor system's activation to natural sounds. For example, take this sound. My colleague Olaf Hoke in uh, in Cambridge, he did an experiment where he had, uh, where he used some some uh, some some uh, neutral sounds ah, okay. like a metronome, and then occasionally there was an unexpected. Yeah, the, the, these were clicks, mm -hmm. either just clicks that are that, that have no body body relationship, mm -hmm. or it was it was sounds produced by the tongue, mm -hmm. sounds produced by the finger, yeah. and and uh, interestingly, he found for these non-linguistic, entirely non-linguistic sounds, activation of different parts of the motor mm -hmm. motor strip. Very early, very similar to our, our mm -hmm. word evoked activation, but it's not specific to the meaning of words in no way. And uh, and w when looking now at the at at brain activation elicited by language sounds mm -hmm. that are produced with a with a tongue or with the lips like p, t, t, mm -hmm. pu, pa, ki. They, they are either either sound sounds produced by the tongue sounds produced by the lips mm -hmm. uh, we when people hear this we see a trace of activation of the motor strip that reflects the body part relationship mm -hmm. of these sounds namely the, the 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 articulator that plays the biggest role in their articulation either the tongue mm -hmm. or the uh, or the or the lips mm -hmm. so there even for nonsense words for example those starting with a p or a t there's good reason to to uh, to to see activation in the at least in the inferior part right. of the motor strip mm -hmm. so this is not mm -hmm. damaging at all to mm -hmm. the semantic uh, to the to the semantics proposal, of course, it calls for very careful uh, experimental man manipulation. Because mm -hmm. if I compare words that start with T with hand semantics to words that start with with P mm -hmm. and uh, with with uh, with face relationship, semantic face relationship, then there may be a, a, a severe confound and. and mm -hmm. Uh, results may be may, may look different yeah. much different from if, if these phonological features were were matched exactly so, so but this the, is the, but another in interesting consequence i think of your work is that you can say look maybe in terms of our linguistic conventions yeah. the word might not have such a motor component 
but maybe for your brain it does. And we just don't really understand yet how that's wired into a broader semantic system. So in, th in that sense, maybe it's not, it's not so much a challenge to your theory. It also opens a new window on how we can rethink semantics of maybe even non-action words, right? There will be a whole set of non-action words that are is able to trigger activation in the motor system. So possibly in the semantic networks the brain is building up, there are actually action components that we have overlooked in our linguistic analysis. Yes. Yeah, and the and and the obvious, the most obvious example here are these abstract emotion words, mm -hmm. where nobody would have imagined an activation of the motor system. There, there's semantically, uh, if if one if, if one asks about action features or object relationship referential features, there's no nothing there. But one wouldn't say this is. But one uses this uh, these words to speak about actions. One would one would say would speak about internal states. But mm -hmm. but nevertheless, semantic theory of a different kind would would uh, would stipulate postulate that, uh, that that the meaning of these words can only be learned by way of having uh, uh, having actions that are manifestations criteria mm -hmm. for the presence of these internal states right but then so, so this is this is something that, that's a new contribution exactly and a contribution that actually speaks to an issue which is of great relevance for the theory of language and mm -hmm. semantics and uh, and, and philosophy of language. Absolutely, no, I, I, I completely get get the point, yeah. and I don't think anyone has really followed it up yet uh, within the linguistic community. Or am I wrong? I have the linguists responded yet to this. Well, it's it, it would be a bit quick because the paper has just been published a few months ago. Yeah, but in some sense, it's already yeah. a consequence of of earlier work. That, for yeah. instance, that you see responses in motor areas to non-action words is already raising that question. Yes, right. So, yeah. so that that question is now on the table for yes. for some time. Yes, yes. So that that should be followed up. But now, uh, what, what you have done, your so your your theory, which in some sense goes back to to Donald Happ, and it might even go back to Thorndike, who also would say the brain is you know a, a connection machine. Yes. Um, and in some sense, you, you you postulate a very simple rule. You say, look, you know, the brain just follows the statistics of its inputs. And um, if these statistics uh, coincide with uh, a word, yeah. then we have semantics. <laughs> yes, right? indeed. And but of course, when when saying this in the in the cognitive theory context, uh, well, there are some colleagues who uh, look at you as if the devil was confronted with holy water, so to speak. So, uh, you are the devil in that analogy or the holy well, water? I was about to phrase it the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, uh, well, you can see it whatever, mm -hmm. from whatever uh, perspective, what perspective yes. you approach it. So it was a, a sacrilege. It was, it was, it was a, a no -go, an entire no-go to, to speak about correlations mm -hmm. in such abstract domains as semantics. So and 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 some people uh, are really very much opposed to that, and of, of course, um, and th this this has a certain relationship to to statements that had been made also in in the in in the behaviorist tradition. Of course, uh, relating an, uh, the meaning of a word to actions mm -hmm. and stimuli and stimuli and responses 
that, that had been such ideas had been that sounds like Skinner's theory exactly, of language. Yeah, right? this is there, there is a relationship now. If you read Skinner, this is this is much too primitive to sure. work at any level, mm-hmm. and uh, and of course it was exactly the behaviorists who denied any internal states, exactly. and, and so theorizing about cell assemblies in the cortex that represent uh, cognitive representations mm-hmm. would be an entire no-go. Mm-hmm. In, well, in except the, when you would talk with with more cognitive behaviorists like yeah. Tolman and Hull. And so, so I think Skinner yeah. and Watson were a bit more at the one extreme end of the of yeah. the scale. But but yes, so yes, you are. You seem to be alluding to yes. these kinds of concepts, and of course, that's asking for trouble when you are confronted with domains that are still more dominated by this cognitivist yes. perspective. Yeah, and I think, but, but I think, I should, uh, leaving aside all these, uh, to a degree, religious ideas, we should be clear that we are we we want to understand. Cognitive, uh, cognitive mechanisms, and we want to spell spell out their basis in terms of neural circuits. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are not satisfied, and many, many, uh, I think the majority, I can say, uh, is not satisfied any longer with box and arrow diagrams. Mm-hmm. We want to become more concrete, and uh, and using using uh, certain standard uh, perception architectures is still a little bit. Distance from mm-hmm. distant from the uh, from from uh, from cortical anatomy and mm-hmm. and and function as well. So, so, so you're, we we are trying to to use models that are more inspired mm-hmm. by cortical anatomy and. Yeah, but what and are now the minimal? What would be the minimal ingredients of the model? What are the minimum components the model should have to build up these kinds of semantic representations? I guess we 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 need sort of neural units. They need to have a firing state. They need to have connections. These connections must be able to change, yes. dependent on activity yes. levels. But what are the, what are then the minimum agreed ingredients of this model to replicate your results? Well, uh, th- there would need to be a relationship between the model and its parts and the brain, and that's not so easy because there there there's there there are many areas that are of relevance, mm-hmm. and there there's the the back part of the language cortex, the perisylvian regions, the front part, there's motor, premotor, prefrontal cortex, there's there's auditory cortex, auditory belt, auditory parabelt, there's then visual cortices come in, other motor fields for controlling hand and leg, Actions uh, are, are are important, so it's it's quite a range of different mm-hmm. areas and their connectivity. So it's mm-hmm. quite a little bit of yeah. Work. But you could argue, well, I don't know. Maybe that's easier than it sounds because certainly, if we want to restrict ourselves to the neocortex, you you do know that the different areas you you point to, in terms of the local circuits, are relatively similar. Yes. Right. So, in terms of the computational unit of your model. It might actually be fairly straightforward, or not? No. Okay. Why because not? Because the whole architecture influences the the, the the nature of the computational unit. It hap- It just happens that if we have correlated activation in such a network on the motor end and on the auditory end mm-hmm. of the of the of the network, that then waves of activation yeah. spread through the mm-hmm. various. Uh, areas of the let's call it them areas instead of layers mm-hmm. areas of the of the network there and and therefore populations of neurons strengthen their connections 
all over the network. Yes. And what we finally end up is our cell assemblies, neuronal assemblies, neuronal representations that link between motor and auditory visual uh, input output patterns mm-hmm. and and have a and and have have a center actually in those areas that that, that link motor systems to auditory and mm-hmm. visual systems like in fact the prefrontal cortex and mm-hmm. and some some uh, some some higher association temporal temporal parietal regions mm-hmm. so uh, and 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 those are particularly important for holding together these these distributed units of processing so we we get what uh, what uh, what would have postulated namely these cell assemblies and mm-hmm. and in in Breitenberg's hands actually uh, the pro, uh, the proposal was made for the first time that these networks could actually bridge between cortical areas mm-hmm. and 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 this is also what we find in the simulations and what we think is the best explanation for this extremely rapid spreading mm-hmm. uh, which relates to the meaning to aspects of the meaning of words and constructions. Right, so in some sense that would mean, okay, there's a, let's say there's an input to this network, to the brain. Uh, the input triggers different areas. They start to propagate their activities to the rest of the network. Yes. These activation patterns might coincide in different places. Mm-hmm. I pick that up in my connections. And now I have, let's say, additional memory-related responses to these semantic events. Yeah. This yes. would be roughly the right interpretation. Yes, yes. But wouldn't that imply then you would have hubs, no? Then you are actually evolving hubs in your network. Well, what we what we end up with in the after this learning exercise mm-hmm. are functional units. So actually, quite dis- in in their behavior, not analog, but discrete mm-hmm. uh, processing units. These cell assemblies they are strongly connected networks, and they uh, and the activate and partial activation of a significant part of the network would lead to an explosion-like process, mm-hmm. with uh, activa- activation spreading through the network, mm-hmm. and so, so the cell assembly becomes active, and. Uh, there's actually a danger of, of having activation spreading mm-hmm. everywhere. And we need inhibition. We need to re- have regulation, regulation mechanisms in order to keep down the general level of right. activation and make sure that with one activation of a word or conceptual or semantic mm-hmm. representation, we do not activate 10 more in a, within an instant. So, so we have strong inhibition. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and this inhibition uh, could, uh, could be... Uh, uh, titrated so that only one cell assembly becomes active mm-hmm. at a time. Of course, if it if if it's not appropriately adjusted, we get uh, yeah, it will explode basically. Explode uh, mm. uh, no, schizophrenia or, or or epileptic right exactly uh, networks. Yeah. But now there's another prediction here, and I'm not sure if if that's the one you would like to see. But um, if signals travel in the brain you will have uh, a transduction latency of the signal with the distance it has to travel. Yes. And this, the largest, the, the semantic net, the potential semantic network is, rough, let's say roughly, can, could be anything in that in the neocortex. So we forget limbic system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that means I'm going to link together areas at varying distances. So these intersection points, right, where, where the activity will overlap, will vary with the distances between these areas, yes. right? Because they have rhythmic activity, there's a transduction latency. So the points where these activation waves will overlap, so learning can occur following your, your rule, will vary 
with let's say the initial points of activity you so you get regular tessellation mm -hmm. of, of these hubs or however these intermediate points dependent on the initial spatial configuration that you trigger is that also something you see in your fMRI data um that with different word types we see well no, uh, maybe well, it's how clear do let's say no, no I, I wasn't I wasn't fully with you okay, you, you I'll, I'll make it no, let's do do it you, are you are you aiming at uh, at a potential An anatomical imaging, prediction. imaging difference between between one of these areas that hold together the the cell assembly and, well, and the well, more peripheral let's do, let's do auditory action words that I'm, that are spoken and i'm reading action words yeah. yeah so now the distance from temporal cortex or my auditory responses yes and the motor cortex that yes. distance is different yeah from the distance between my occipital cortex yes. where I have my visual response and the motor yes. cortex yes so now both these areas will become activated in some way yeah right so now their activity starts to propagate through the broader network, mm -hmm. but the intersection points of this activation will be at different distances in yes. between these areas because their distance is yeah, different. Sure. Yeah. And if your if your network model is correct, yes. it would predict I see activity islands building up somewhere between temporal and motor when it's auditory, yeah. right? And more, let's say, more in, towards an uh, occipital. Yeah. when it's visual motor. Yep. This so, is correct. Okay. And, and we see, we see, for example, in the latency that with, with visual word presentation, the delay of this motor systems activation is, is a, little bit, uh, a little bit delayed, mm -hmm. a little bit larger. So it's 200 to 220, 40 milliseconds. Now with auditory, as I said before, it's 150 to 160, okay. 70 mm -hmm. milliseconds. So it's earlier mm -hmm. with the auditory, with the, with the earlier mm -hmm. presentation, uh, as, uh, as far as we can draw um uh this this comparison because mm -hmm. of course there, there are basic differences between auditory presentation which is piecemeal crop mm -hmm. code dial i i get uh, phoneme by phoneme uh, mm -hmm. now with with crocodile being presented flashed on the screen i have all the information in one shot right. so it could also be that this this heavy shot of information uh requires more time mm -hmm. and therefore the delay the delay is larger so we we cannot uniquely attribute this delay differences to 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 cortical cortical distance mm -hmm. it's also possibly uh, there's possibly an influence of the nature of the experiment mm -hmm. but uh, but as 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 far as uh, this differential activation uh dynamics are concerned there, there are indeed differences in the delays and also in in the pathway of the cortical spreading okay but is it also expressed in let's say the activation of areas in between these these yes especially okay. inferior frontal cortex okay. broca's region mm -hmm. uh, seems to seems to play a role okay so but another consequence of the model that i was wondering about is that your model is highly sensitive to statistics right so the more yes. components my my semantics has, right? So mm -hmm. the more combinatorial it gets, the more input states I have to sample, right? So the prediction of that would be that in order to build up a response to a, a word that has more components, I need more exposure. I need to see it more often, right? Because I'm, I'm frequency dependent. Yes. So learning will depend on the frequency with which things occur. 
Mm-hmm. So do you do you observe that as well in your fMRI data? Let's say let's say words, action words that are less frequent will trigger different responses, weaker responses than action words that are more frequent. Well, we have a we have a degree of uh, th- these are not very very strong effects, but there there's a there's a degree of uh, of of variability of this. For example, these motor systems and and uh, and middle temporal cortex mm-hmm. activations varying with word frequencies as well. Okay, but so would you would you would you take that as a prediction of your of your model, or or? Well, as you said, or at least implied, mm-hmm. not only the frequency as such should be relevant, but also the uh, the, the the complexity of the mm-hmm. of the semantic relationship. So right. if if there's a if if very variable uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, semantic relationships exist mm-hmm. of one given word, mm-hmm. then then of course. Uh, the, the the additional learning steps may just lead to a weakening of the connect uh, of mm-hmm. connection. So if I if if I have a for example a word that that, that is used to speak about uh, about uh, about a, a wide range of objects and and then uh, water animals mm-hmm. and and then a, and and then a word with 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 the same frequency that that is specifically uh, used to speak about one particular uh, type of animal, like frog, mm-hmm. then, then, uh, then of course the semantic links may be very strong in this, mm-hmm. in, in this, uh, right. in this. Or, uh, or unicorns would be, would be not a difficult case, right? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Unicorn would be especially difficult. Exactly. One would, mm-hmm. would need to build it from different parts, right? Mm-hmm. Horns and and exactly. horses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But another amazing. Uh, implication of your work that, that you have pursued, like we, we talked earlier about this controversy, if you want, with more cognitivist approaches, yes. that people are, get out of here. Right? This is this is too easy. It, can, it will never work like this. Yeah. This is not yeah. possible, and yeah. so on. Um, but um, you, you have taken actually very, I think, a very courageous step by saying, okay, look, if this is all correct, I must be able to actually treat aphasia with this effectively. Yeah. So what what was the concept there? Well, how did you make that switch? What's 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 the idea? Well, the, if you want the true and honest answer, it Prefer, was the other yeah. way around. Okay. I started, uh, it was aphasia therapy that started it all. Okay, interesting. So I, I, got, I did my PhD mm-hmm. in linguistics then uh, at, in, uh, on aphasia therapy, mm-hmm. being convinced that if a theory has uh, something to say, it must have a practical implication. This mm-hmm. wasn't very popular in the uh, in, in in the in the last century i should right. say it still isn't that yeah. right <laughs> it is, yeah and uh, and i did this in in a linguistics department and the linguist said well is this really linguistics what this guy is doing uh-huh. but <laughs> uh-huh. right. and but but i was uh, i was kind of imprinted a little bit by by um, a grand, my grandfather who who uh, suffered from a severe uh, aphasia and uh, and now uh, this always was a problem and Nobody could help him essentially, mm-hmm. and uh, and and uh, so, so I w- when when after studying linguistics, after learning about language therapy, and also studying biology and learning about brain mechanisms, I, I thought that specializing in this mm-hmm. direction, learning about brain and language relationships, in order to produce something s- sensible mm-hmm. for 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 helping these patients, would be would be uh, an important thing to do, and mm-hmm. and 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 I then. As a PhD student, I made a few proposals based on 
language uh, on, on uh, semantic theory, language philosophy, uh, uh, and and some uh, knowledge about n neurobiological mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, what th this resulted then after this was then uh, not very successful at the at the start nineteen. 91 mm -hmm. the first paper was published in uh, and was not received at all and uh, and uh, about 10 years later i met with uh, with a famous uh, us uh, neuroscientist edward taub who mm -hmm. had developed uh, constraint induced movement therapy and and uh, over dinner he said well wouldn't you have an idea how we could pr project this into the language domain and and link up with some uh, behaviorally relevant language training that is that, that uh, similar to the motor therapy, and then we uh, I reactivated my my previous mm -hmm. uh, interest, uh, yeah, and and uh, experience mm -hmm. also with, with uh, the the idea of a therapy was to embed language in action context, actually in inter in interactions, communicative uh, interactions, and uh, this. And this was very handy also for use in a in a uh, in uh, in in a mass practice mm -hmm. context, and and we then ran a, uh, a randomized controlled trial, and mm -hmm. and this was extremely successful. That's a, that's now one of the uh, that that was that paper on aphasia mm -hmm. uh, therapy was really very well received, mm -hmm. and uh, and and we and, and we are continuing with this, and I hope that we will. At one stage, be successful to secure some money to do some important uh, uh, work to optimize it further, to mm -hmm. to, uh, to to link it to uh, to, to uh, computational mm -hmm. work and to, to 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 have computer versions of the of the therapy right. so that the intensity couldn't go up even further. Exactly, and, and but so now in your case, you could interpret your approach also as if you want some. The, an inverted mirror mirror approach, right? Because in mirroring and mirror mechanisms, yes. it's very often interpreted like, okay, it's the sensory uh, state, perception, visual perception of action yes. that drives the execu motor execution pathway. So we go from the sensory state, the, the perceptual state to the motor state. But in your case, you turn it around and say, no, no, wait, if I can tickle the motor state by having the, the subject gesture, I can actually now, in exactly follow that pathway backwards and tickle all the areas that are sort of upstream from it that were under normal conditions talking to this motor system yes is this a, a correct interpretation yes okay so so then how effective is this as a therapeutic tool well, we the idea is that that the language system and the motor system or the action system or the general action system of the brain they are heavily linked to each other interwoven yeah. And uh, and that if one fails, if one has a suffers from a lesion, mm -hmm. due to the strong connection to the other, the, the, this other system, this to a partially still intact system, could help uh, restoring exactly. neural patterns of activation. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so that's the theory behind it. So a lesion network could get help from a strong associate. Mm -hmm. The language system could help could get help from the action system. Right. That's the theory and the and and the data they are pretty favorable. So, so we did randomized controlled trials, and it seemed in one study that this approach is uh, is is more efficient than uh, 
and the therapy mm-hmm. patients get That's uh, in chronic patients or acute patients chronic we, mm-hmm. we 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 have been re- we restricting ourselves to chronic patients because for methodological reasons because in in uh, in acute patients there's such a uh, unpredictable amount of spontaneous uh, exactly. recovery mm-hmm. that uh, that any and any conclusions of a of a of a randomized contra- control trials uh, trial is is, al- is always uh, in danger of mm-hmm. getting receiving criticism because Absolutely. there could be uh, just randomly you could just by chance choose w- good recoverers and mm-hmm. and and uh, have bad ones in the in the other group right. so so you you're never safe but if you go to stages where Spontaneous recovery is, is not so likely and and minimal normally. Mm-hmm. Then you then this possibility can be excluded. Right, exactly. We, we chose patients who were several years after mm-hmm. their stroke. In the average, I think it was six or so. Okay. Yes, and and so quite a long time. But but in some sense, it it might have started with a discussion on constraint-induced uh, therapy. Yes. But. Um, what are the constraints you are imposing? Because essentially you are mobilizing the system, ask, asking yes. people to do more than they would yeah. usually do. Well, constraint-induced, uh, the term constraint-induced has produced a lot of misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And is, uh, th- there is this association of, the, of, the, uh, of, of torture, doing something bad to already uh, uh, poor patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we try to... Used to to, to uh, promote the term intensive language action therapy, right. which I think might be more appropriate. Right. Constraints are nevertheless important. We wouldn't speak about constraints because of the negative connotation, but but uh, we would uh, so to to formulate it more positively. Mm-hmm. I would say we focus the patients on their communicative needs. Mm-hmm. They in this in these patients, as in uh, at Taub's motor therapy. Uh, uh, patients, there's a natural tendency of avoiding whatever is complicated, whatever mm. is usually not successful. Right. So if I, if as a patient, if I realize that certain complex words do not work normally, mm-hmm. I just stop trying. Yes. And uh, and and uh, and if I cannot do complex sentences, I try to uh, avoid that and uh, just use the words I can do. I end up I may end up with telegraphic style, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, this is what we want to avoid. We want to really force them to try their best, mm-hmm. and in order to that, we constrain or we focus the therapy, and we and and we introduce rules in in the interaction games in the in the uh, so that uh, so that the communication uh, task is difficult enough mm-hmm. to challenge them right to exactly. ca- challenge mm-hmm. if possible each patient mm-hmm. right so that we titrate the the, the, the requirements for mm-hmm. each patient in order to have optimal practice right and I think that's very important even though constraint the mm-hmm. word constraint has produced many misunderstandings misunderstandings yeah, exactly. to say no, the I least understand. yeah exactly yeah no, but, so that, but I think it's really marvelous that that you have made that 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 step towards the clinic, which is, as you know, right, extremely challenging. Uh, certainly, if you talk about the rehabilitation of stroke, it is. It's, it's, a lot of people stay away from these kinds of because usually things fail in that in that domain. Yes. It's really hard, yeah. and it's really amazing that that you push that so far and also had such yeah. an impact. And that, of course, gives you. It, it I was. Think, it, it was because I started this stupid enterprise 
before before I knew how complicated it is. Right, and, exactly. And therefore, uh, yeah, and therefore I was in that business already, and and I was actually positively surprised. That right, exactly. Otherwise, no, that's really impressive. Yeah, no, but also of course, this this gives you ammunition, I think, in this debate with the more let's say theory inclined. Uh, cognitivists because at least you yes. can show you have real impact so now to, to finish up uh, my two questions for which you to which you already have been exposed so yeah you, you, uh, you're prepared um, so the so working on, on this issue of, of language semantics and the brain and also aphasia treatment um, so what are what's the law of freedom that we should follow in trying to understand the brain well um, I wouldn't I wouldn't search for any Friedemannian law, but mm. I, would, I would, if 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 anything, I would speak of a Breitenbergian uh-huh. <laughs> approach to mechanizing cognition, mm-hmm. to look to look about the, uh, to, to to look out for, uh, if possible, the simplest possible um, uh, uh, neural instantiations, neural. Uh, mechanistic circuits that could that, that could underlie complex cognitive abilities mm-hmm. such as meaning processing. Right. And we, we we actually want to draw circuits that mm-hmm. do the job, and mm-hmm. we want to simulate this so this the the build up and the pro, and, and the and and the activation of these circuits in realistic computer models that mimic the brain. We want to use this this uh, this uh, models, these, these neurocomputational models, uh, to to predict cortical activation patterns, predict mm-hmm. and then explain uh, cortical activation patterns. And if if it doesn't come out in the experiments like this, we uh, we, we we want to adjust these uh, these neural neural models in order to uh, to improve them and, and to get a mm-hmm. better idea about the mechanisms. I think that's the that's the pathway to make progress to right. to, to better understand mm-hmm. the cognition. I, I think we we have seen these box and arrow di- diagrams now for 30, 40, 50 years, mm-hmm. and and and, uh, and and I think it's 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 really time now to to go in a mechanistic direction with, right. where we theorize not in terms of abstract mechanisms but in terms of uh, of concrete neuron neuronal mechanisms that solve abstract problems exactly very good no i like that so then 5 years from now i'm going to you know go visit you there in cambridge not uh, in cambridge in berlin now oh, you're in berlin now sorry yes yeah. my mistake um, yeah and um, I'm going to confront you with the hypothesis you're going to generate today. So, what's what's the one hypothesis you're most passionate about today that that you you believe will be confirmed five years from now? Well, um, the hypothesis. Well, they are hypotheses related to the language therapy mm-hmm. enterprise, and of course, optimizing this further and showing that that that, that the motor system indeed uh, activates more after this therapy and reflects actually the motor system activations or strength, stronger links between motor and language systems actually are, are the result of successful language action therapy. Mm-hmm. That, that would be that, that would be. A big hope to, mm-hmm. to, to make progress in this direction, making improving the therapy further mm-hmm. uh, is is has, has very high high priority for me. 
Now, if you if you ask if your question aims more at the theoretical level, there is there is a very important question which I would like to learn something about, which uh, which uh, links to your question about the difference between conceptual and semantics systems. Semantic systems, and and I said that for the time being we could uh, we could consider semantics. Uh, 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 um, a subset of right. con- conceptual mm-hmm. uh, of of of, uh, of of concepts or the conceptual space. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not entirely correct because there there is an idea that that linking concepts to language also helps conceptual processing, mm-hmm. and the and the the idea is that. Uh, the the differ- differentiation of concepts, discrimination of very similar concepts, is only possible if we link it to a sim- to a symbol system such as language. The reason being that uh, if if you do neural computational models and try to uh, uh, build representations for very similar things, for a crocodile and for an alligator, mm-hmm. uh, we may end up with uh, with with cell assemblies, with neural representations that overlap very much. Well, of course, we can use neurocomputational tricks such as Cochonen networks mm-hmm. where, where, where we force separate uh, yeah. se- non-overlapping representations. Mm-hmm. If you don't do this and, and we, we just uh, map the cell assemblies and the, the, and, and, there's, and, and the overlap of these networks mirror the semantic similarity, mm-hmm. then we are hope, in a hopeless situation. We have 95% overlap exactly. of semantic features and then the two glue together. Mm-hmm. We cannot separate them. Right. Hopeless. Uh, what we can do is uh, use tricks in order to separate the two rep- uh, to make the, these representations more dissimilar. Mm-hmm. If we manage to link alligator with one word, namely the word alligator, and the other concept, the crocodile concept, with an entirely different word, namely crocodile, mm-hmm. then this union mm-hmm. of the conceptual and the word representation, so the, the entire semantic network, they would, they would now, if the if the conceptual overlap was ninety five percent, then the the overlap of the uh, of the linguistic conceptual semantic network would only be below fifty percent, forty seven point five. So it would give you some form of let's say a top down decorrelation. Indeed. In a conceptual space. Indeed. Of course, there's a problem how to link them up with each other if they are already overlapping so much in the first place. But, right. but assuming that this can be this can be uh, solved mm-hmm. uh, by with with special tricks and inhibitory. So the, so the specific mechanisms. prediction. So the specific prediction would be that semantics as 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 language related representations. Yes is not only built on top of a conceptual space, yes. it in turn recurrently helps you to organize yes. and boost the conceptual space. Exactly. So the idea is language helps conceptual discrimination. Okay. And in five years, 10 years, 15 years, No, it was years, five. I would, like to, it was I, would five. Like, I would like to have clear evidence for that. Great. Well, Friedman Pulvermoer, thank you very much for this conversation. Thanks so much. It was fantastic. And I hope we can we can do something in future with on, uh, on, on language and action therapy. That would be fantastic. That would be great. Yes, wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for the for the well, interview. Thank it you. Was a great pleasure. The CSN podcast was produced by the Convergent Science Network of Biomatics and Biohybrid Systems. 
project funded by the European 7th Research Framework Programme. For more interviews, recorded lectures or upcoming conferences in the field of biomimetics and biohybrid systems, go to cznetwork.eu. And thank you for listening. Thank you.